one mindset you have to have as a leader is the best job you're going to have is the job you're in right now. So enjoy it. Find the small things that really fire you up and just latch on to those things. And take the time, even in small ways, when you're like passing somebody in the hallway on a Monday morning, instead of saying, how was your weekend or what'd you do? Or look at the weather outside. Kind of do what I tried to do with my parents, right? Enjoy the journey of that moment saying like, what's going on? What are you learning? And just let them talk to you. I think it's really critical. Welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast from Premier Speakers Bureau, featuring in-depth conversations with the world's most in-demand keynote speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, president here at Premier Speakers Bureau. Welcome to the Beyond Speaking podcast. Today we have Dr. Patrick Ledden, uh, who has done, I just, I call it like a layered life. There's just so many different things that he has done. Uh, U.S. Army Ranger, uh, a Wall Street Journal best-selling author of the five-week leadership challenge, uh, he has bought and sold businesses, uh, PhD professor or associate professor rather at uh, Vanderbilt University, uh, has lived all over the place, uh, consulted with KPMG, Franklin Covey, uh, just has done a lot of amazing things. So Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Brian, for having me. So, you know, being somebody who's an entrepreneur um, and uh, Army Ranger has spoken, you know, with the uh, prime minister or president of Iceland. Um, you know, has done all these different things. When are you going to start doing something with your life? Yeah, I know. I need to get my act together. <laughs> Time is ticking and I'm not moving forward. I got to figure this out. What makes a challenge interesting to you? Somebody who's accomplished so much, what makes a challenge interesting? Well, I appreciate you saying accomplished so much. Sometimes, you know, you don't think about it. And then somebody <laughs> says something like, yeah, I guess I've gotten a few things done over my life. Um, like everybody has, right? I, I, to me, a challenge is, is really critical because it, it, it's this idea of, can I pick a goal or go after something that's also connected to my purpose? So people who are listening or watching the podcast right now, they, they all have, you know, something that they're going after or a reason that they're here on this planet, if you will. And the better we can understand what that is and then set a challenge to go after that advances and um, us forward and also kind of deepens our understanding of why we're here, I think is really critical. So I like to set those type of goals. And typically, I like to set goals around my, my physical side, my spiritual side my relationship side, and also my intellectual side, believe it or not. What's the, so we're recording this in January. Uh, are you a person who sets like New Year's resolutions? When do you, or do you just set them whenever they come to you? Uh, what, what's your decision-making process when it comes to setting goals? Yeah, I'm probably not as strict as I should be on certain things, um, but I do try to look at the calendar right around the turning of the new year and sit and think about those four areas. Like, what do I wanna learn this year? Um, what, what, do, what type of relationship do I want to build um, this year or deepen with my family members? I'm going to be a grandfather coming up soon. So, you know, what's that going to look like going forward in 23? So there's always that component of trying to like think through the schedule and plan some stuff out. And you can't plan like, okay, in this day, I'm going to be the awesome grandfather. <laughs> but you're just thinking those things through and what are the actions that drive it? But I'm also try to leave a degree of spontaneity, I think, in life. I think it's pretty critical. My, my kids would know me as the dad who would say yes. Like, yes, I'll try it. Not yes to everything. Like, can I stay up till 2 a.m. eating Doritos? I probably would have said no to that. But certainly things like, Dad, do you want to go do this with me? I would tend to say yes. So, What's an example of that? Oh, there's so many of them. Um, I, I, one example of that would be when our son, it, he was about a junior or senior in high school. So this would have been about uh, seven, eight years ago. He said that he wanted to go with a friend hiking uh, overnight camping on the Appalachian Trail. Do I want to go? And I said, yes, I'll do that. Well, that turned into 
10 days with eight senior high school boys that I took on a camping <laughs> trip and hiking trip on the Appalachian Trail. So he has the ability to kind of escalate what that yes looks like. But it was a great experience because I, I remember writing about it afterwards as I thought about that experience of taking you know, eight boys on a 10-day hike on the Appalachian Trail. And some of them you know, had blisters and had never done anything like that. Some of them, even though we told them what equipment to have, and I tried to do a shakedown and weren't completely ready for it. Yeah. And luckily we had some spare stuff. But going through that, these boys were friends since like first grade. Mm. And now they're seniors in high school. It was a big deal for them. And I just watched their friendship like go deeper through the experience. And I think we learned, you talk about challenges, that's a challenge for them. And on the back end of that, they're like more connected than they were before. Their sense of pride is higher because of what they accomplished. And five, six, seven years later, they're still talking about it. So that would be a yes that I just get into. And then I realize, oh my gosh, what did I just sign up for <laughs> type of thing. Now, were you like that when you were at that age or is it something that's developed over time? Oh, it's definitely something that's developed over time. Um, I was, I grew up on the South side of Chicago at 139th and state street, if people know the area. And, um, I was the youngest of five kids. So I had a bit in the pecking order of, of you do what your siblings tell you to do. And they see you as the little kid and you're always kind of the little kid type of thing. But then when I was, when I was 17, um, and was graduating high school, I just really didn't have a plan for what I wanted to do in life. I didn't really see people who went to college in my neighborhoods. So that wasn't something that people really did. So I signed up to go to junior college and failed out basically six months later or got close to failing out. So I joined the army and I went uh, to basic training and it, that kind of clicked for me. So I guess you could say, well, I'll look at him. He signed up for the military, but I would, I would tell you, yeah, I was kind of because I was not going in good places at that point. Yeah. And that that was a turning point for me. But I think over time, I've just started to realize as many folks would realize that, you know, life is short. Opportunities are are, are abundant, but also you have to choose and go after something. So I've just kind of started to lean into that more and more and more. So you, you said when you were living in Chicago, there weren't a lot of people that were going to college. Did you have mentors there or were your first strong mentors in the military? Yeah, I think my first strong mentors are probably in the military. Um, I it just, for whatever reason, the military just clicked with me early on. Not that I was this amazingly disciplined child because I wasn't. I told you things weren't going well at junior college. But uh I got to the military and I realized it was kind of easy for me. Like they said, turn right, I turned right. They said, turn left, I turned left. They said, shut up, I shut up. So it kind of came easy. And then over- So if you're the fifth child, go to the military. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly right. The fifth kid's going to be so disciplined and, and honed. This is a skill that's honed. So then when I got into it, I was like, I'm kind of good at this. And and I had a, I don't know, natural ability, but uh, I was fairly physically fit. I could do things. And um, if I couldn't, you know, like yourself, right? You, sometimes you can physically, you have great physical fitness level like you do and you can just do things. And other times it's just like, it's it's between your ears. You just got to kind of stick it, stick to it. And I was, for whatever reason, I was wired to kind of stick to it. Where did, when did you feel like you'd arrived or when you were, what made you kind of start getting promoted or going to ranger school? Like what were the developmental steps there? You know, I don't know if I've ever arrived, but uh, <laughs> it's still a journey. But I, um, so I did, I enlisted in the military, as I mentioned, and I joined the National Guard initially. So I joined the National Guard, I went to basic training and military police school. And I was convinced when I went back to college and I was ready to go to a four-year college, I was like, I'm going to be a police officer. This is what I'm going to do. And I had a job offer from Illinois State to be a state trooper. And I also had this opportunity to go in the Army. But the Army, in its ultimate wisdom, said I could be an infantry officer. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I had these two things. I thought, I really want to try this infantry thing. So I started down that path. Now, if you go into the infantry as an officer after, after your initial schooling, you're going to ranger school. That's, yeah. that's not basically a non-negotiable. You're going to go to ranger school. 
Um, for me, the challenge was actually, I didn't know how to swim. And swimming is like a big deal at ranger school. Like in the day two, before they actually consider you in the school, they're like throwing you in the water with all your gear and blindfolded and all that type of thing. Yeah. Fortunately, I was married and my wife knew how to swim really well. <laughs> so I guess this is where the fifth child thing came in. She got me in the pool every night and like told me how to swim and taught me how to <laughs> swim. And I, I owe her a lot for that. But uh, so I kind of like, that's how I ended up going into ranger school was just a next natural step in the process, I guess I would say. And then ranger school at the time was... 68 days long and one meal a day so not a lot of food and um i was fortunate i got through it in 68 days so then i went to a unit called the 82nd airborne division that people may be familiar with and i was a platoon leader there and a company commander there and i spent about six years at the 82nd and that's when i left and went to kpmg wow yeah uh what made you start on the path towards leadership you know because you're a leadership speaker author podcast host what made you pick that well, I think that leadership is such a critical skill, the ability to lead others. And if you think about like, what does it mean to lead others? It's predominantly the ability to influence and the ability to make decisions. And I'm from the school of thought uh, that we're all leaders. It's a choice. I say oftentimes that regardless of your role, your title, your block on the organizational chart, your parking spot in the parking lot, whatever it might be, we're all leaders. We just have to choose to lead ourselves and then we can choose to lead others. And I think those early schooling through the military, that infantry school and ranger school and that type of thing, early experiences kind of just drove in me the importance of, of leadership and what it feels like to be led well <laughs> and what it feels like to not be led well. In fact, I oftentimes ask audiences to think about, you know, a leader in their life that's really affected them. And I was talking to this group not that long ago, and there was this one lady, the room had people between 18 and probably 85. It was a really wide range in the room. And this one lady in the room raised her hand to tell a story to this larger group. <laughs> she was 83 years old and she went back to middle school and talked about this teacher that impacted her in middle school. And I, I'm kid, I kid you not, right? It was like she was there in the moment. So when I think about leadership, when I think about what it means to be a leader, I think about it, I think about it as it's not just delegating tasks or scheduling items. I mean, those are managerial things and they're important, but leading has to do with people. Like, do you see the potential in them? Do you communicate it to them? Do you support them? Do you challenge them so that they step up and become better versions of themselves? And that's what it means to lead other folks, that, that you left an imprint on them later on because the tale of leadership is really long and I think the world needs more leaders. I think all of us could do better to lead ourselves more effectively, starting with me. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we'd be so much better off if we saw the opportunity right in front of us and seized it. What are, what's the best way for a leader to challenge someone? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about engagement, engage your employees. And we know it's important. We know employee engagement drives better productivity, less turnover, better financial results. People are happy. I mean, there's a lot of things that come from employee engagement, but the reality is there's kind of two truths about engagement. We don't often talk about one is, you can't engage anybody. The reality is you, you can't. You can create conditions where people choose to engage, but you can't engage them. It's a two-way street. And, but the second thing that's the truth around it is that no one is more engaging for an individual employee or disengaging for an individual employee than their direct leader. So if you think about those two things and you say, okay, nobody's going to impact this person more than myself as a leader. And secondly, um, I can't really directly engage them, but I can create conditions. You start to think about how do I create an environment where people can see themselves winning and making progress and getting better? 
Um, where can I, how can I go about modeling things like accountability that matters? Um, how can I go about, you know, modeling the, um, the, the way to set goals and to track progress? How can I go about modeling what it means to encourage and excite people about something? And at the same time, I've just got to look at everybody and say, and again, starting with myself in the mirror and say, you know, there's, there's more in me than I probably realize. And if I can nurture it and bring it out, we could all be more successful. So I just think about those are kind of the things we need to do as a leader in order to better engage people and bring out the best in them. And I think if you set the right environment and you set some goals with your people, um, you'll, you'll be surprised. They'll be surprised at who steps up and does what. Yeah. One of the things that kind of what you're talking about there reminds me of something at the very beginning you were talking about, like setting your goals for the new year that were different. So the three, a lot of people have, they're like, here's my physical goals, my mental goals, work goals, and relationship goals. So not everybody set, goes out and sets relationship goals. That's not as, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds or I'm going to go uh, get a raise at work or something like that. Where does that goal come from for you? Like, why did you add that goal to what most people do? And how does that affect what you do are as a leader? Yeah. So definitely a lot of it goes probably back um, to my time with Franklin Covey. So I used to work at KPMG after I left the military. And then after a few years at KPMG, Franklin Covey came calling and asked if I would, would do some work with them, which turned into about a 15 or 16 year relationship. They became a client of our own company. Then I went back and ran their partnerships for a while. So I had a long time relationship with them. And they talk about the whole person paradigm. They talk about the mind, body, relationship, spiritual um, component of everyone. And, and as, I, as, I, as I thought through that, I thought, well, if I have these four components to me, and spiritual can be framed different ways. Um, for me, it has a particular meaning, but for other people, just think about it as, as hope or a desire to strive to be and do something better or bigger. So when I think about those four things, if those are the four aspects of a whole person, I probably should be looking to get better in each of those ways. And I, I had this, I don't know I say epiphany, because you could tell me if it, they could tell me if it was an epiphany or not. And I was thinking about this one time about like the, the whole person and, and do I really have stewardship over my whole person? And I started saying, no, I, I don't. I kind of outsource it, right? So if I don't watch it, I'll outsource my physical well-being to the medications my doctor prescribes to me. I'll outsource the intellectual stuff to what somebody else tells me I should know or read about type of thing. I'll outsource relationships thinking I'll get to those later on or something else will kind of be a caretaker for that in the interim. And as I just thought, as I thought, thought through those things, one, I could see where I paid a price in certain areas. And that's just sometimes the, the cost of learning. But the other side, I just thought about, like, I really want to own these things. So like you mentioned relationships, like how do you measure relationships? I mean, there's some quantitative things you can do, but it's not like saying I want to lose five or 10 pounds, right? Yeah. You get the scale and see how you're doing. You can come up with some things that might be like, I'm going to make sure I sit down and spend 30 minutes with my children each week. That sounds like a really great thing to do. And it's certainly something you can track. But to me, it's always been a little bit more about, I can do those things, but why am I doing them? What am I trying to do? Just like you want to lose the 10 pounds, why? Mm -hmm. Right? Do you want to have a better spring in your step? Do you, have you been told by the physician you need to kind of get your health a little bit under control, whatever it might be? Same thing, like, why do I want to spend 30 minutes with them? And oftentimes that gets to more the, the softer side of things. So for me, when I think about it, I, one of the classes I teach at Vanderbilt is negotiation. And if anybody's ever gone to a negotiation class or spent some time thinking about negotiation, they often talk about these seven elements in negotiation. Like what are the issues you care about? What are the issues the other person cares about? 
Where might there be common ground? What's your best alternative to a negotiating agreement? And all the, but there's one part on those typical worksheets that says, what's the relationship like right now with the other person? What do you want it to be like going forward? And what do you want them to know in the process of this negotiation? So you can think about a negotiation perspective. You might think, well, there's really no relationship. This is a, a salesperson I've never met before. I'd like to at least find some common ground and be able to talk to each other. And I want to let them know these three things about our company or our needs or whatever it might be. And I started to use that kind of a version of that when I thought about my goals relationship-wise. Like, what's my relationship like right now with my kids, with my dad, with my wife? You know, those type of things. And what do I want it to be? And what do I want them to know? I want them to know how I care about them and when I think about them. And I'm not always around, but when, when even when I'm not there, they're, they're top of mind for me. And I can give you one example. So several years ago, um, I had found that I was, I was thinking about my relationship with my parents at the time. So my parents lived in Chicago still. We were living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. You know, we had children and they were growing up. So just we had a lot going on in our lives. And I found when I really thought about my relationship with my parents, it kind of boiled down to very surface level. I would call them once a week and check in and see how they're doing. And I would learn the traffic report in Chicago, <laughs> a weather report in Chicago, and maybe a couple other high-level news items in the family. Yeah. But not much. So I decided that I was going to try to become a better son. And granted, it wasn't like they were saying, like, they would stand up here and say, this kid's the worst kid ever. It wasn't <laughs> like that. It was just kind of like, it wasn't very deep, right? So I started doing things like calling them up with specific questions I wanted to ask them. Hey, this is what's going on with the kids. Um, what would you do if you're in my shoes? And I'm sure, sure at first they were kind of going, why is he asking these questions? But they'd answer them and they were really insightful at times. Or I'd travel a lot for work and I'd start to send them postcards. I remember I had this one um, speaking gig with a client that took me literally around the world. I was in 31 different cities over the course of a few months, which is wow. a great experience. Yeah. And while I was doing it, I was sending them postcards from Beijing and Singapore and a whole bunch of different places. They probably thought something was wrong with me. I came back from that trip and I remember I was in the airport in Dallas, Texas. I had come back from that trip and went right back out on another trip. And I was in Dallas, Texas. I called one of my brothers. We were talking, or he called me, I think. And we were talking and he said, mom's health is really declining. You need to come home. And I thought, um, okay. I looked at my schedule. I said, how about next week? And he's like, no, you need to come home like right now. You need to change your plans. And he was right. I got home. Uh, I, I flew back to Louisville. My wife and I got in the car. We drove up to Chicago. Um, we saw mom that night, hospice showed up that night and about three hours later she passed away. And I thought to myself at the time, like, I'm glad I invested in that relationship. So fast forward a few days, we go through the visitation and the funeral and we're back at the house after the funeral. And most of your listeners or watchers have seen these situations where you're back at the house after somebody has passed away, eating like cold cut sandwiches or whatever. And you can just tell somebody's missing. It's just that odd feeling. And I was talking to my wife, Jamie, and I said, I'm so glad that over the last several months, I've really invested in the relationship with my mom. Um, I'm glad that I you know, spent time and did things. And she goes, you're still a son. And she points across the room at my father. And my father is the type of person who his default position, not in a judging way, just as the way it was, his default position was no. <laughs> Mine was yes, his was no, right? I, I could go to my dad and say, dad, I just won you know, $100 million in a lottery. I want to buy you a new house. And he would say, the one I got's fine. You know, <laughs> the car I have is fine type of thing. 
And I, I looked back at my wife and I'm like, oh, you're right. I still am a son. <laughs> so I kind of pulled my pants up, walked across, walked across the room and said to him, hey, dad, um, I travel a lot for work speaking. Would you like to come with me on a speaking trip sometime? Fully expecting him to say no. Yeah. And he said, where are you going? <laughs> I grabbed my calendar real quick on my phone. And I'm like, I'm going to Topeka, Kansas next week. <laughs> he went to Topeka, Kansas with me. He went to Florida with me. He went to a bunch of places with me over the years. And, and that really taught me the idea, like the, the roles that you have, the relationship you have really matter and to keep investing in them. Even when they change, like I mentioned, I'm going to be a grandfather. So that's changed. My daughter's married and she's probably, I mean, those change, but those relationships still matter. So I really try to, to figure out I'm not perfect at it by any stretch. If if you're listening and thinking I'm, I'm not perfect at it, just go meet my family. (laughs) They'll tell you I'm not perfect at it, but just kind of trying to get better and challenging myself. Yeah. And if that, if that's anything, I mean, for me, it's, I mean, the same thing, I'd, I'd made sure I was intentional with my dad before he passed away. And it's, it's, you go back and you're like, I'd given him my old Bible I'd marked up and everything else. And it's right there in the center of his desk, you know? So those things, even though they, even if somebody doesn't express it, yeah. a lot of times those things do make a huge difference that you may not even know, especially if you're, you know, like your dad, where they're a particular way that they do certain things. I'm sure that all that stuff matters a huge deal. So absolutely. I, it's funny. Um, you, and you're right. And I remember talking to you about your, your father and that's some amazing stories, same, t- same types of things. Yeah. I, um, I wrote a LinkedIn article the other day that said, my dad doesn't have any time for me. <laughs> and it, I was being truthful because he told us back in the summer, my father's 91 now, mm-hmm. and my mom's been gone for 10 years. And he told us back in the summer that he was going to go to Florida with a buddy for three months this year. That's like, been the dream for my father for nine plus decades yeah. to go spend some time out of the Chicago weather in Florida. And he still lives on his own. My dad does. So yeah. going down to Florida for a few months is on, on his list for sure. And I started calling him like, I called him at Chris, I called him on Christmas day and he was, it was the 25th. I called him December 25th. He was leaving for Florida December 27th. And I started talking to him about Christmas and what's going on. And he was very short with me. Like I got a pack. I got this trip coming up. <laughs> And I, and, and that really the tagline of the article is my dad doesn't have any time for me and I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah. Right. Because he was going to do something he really wanted to do. And it just taught me again to like continue to set goals and things you want to pursue in life because life is short and we should always be tackling new things. And that's, you know, lesson he teaches me right now. Yeah. What made you, um, you know, speaking of teaching lessons, what made you switch from uh, Franklin Covey and KPMG to Vanderbilt, you know, so you're, you're switching from teaching corporate audiences. You're still obviously speaking to corporate audiences all the time, but switching to more of that, um, I guess, academic realm. That's a great question. So it actually, um, kind of started happening when I was at KPMG. So when I was at KPMG, I was doing, I was always doing some adjunct teaching. I just enjoyed being in the classroom to a certain extent. I like the learning process. So when I was at KPMG, I was running a project. I was there for a few years. And then I was recruited away to go to Franklin Covey. And this was in 2000, 2000. So I went to Franklin Covey and about five or six months into my time at Franklin Covey, during that period, my wife was starting to do a project for a client. And it was kind of like a side hustle. We weren't calling it side hustle, but that was what it was. So I would go to, I would work with Franklin Covey all day. And then I'd come home and I'd help her with this project. And then that helping her with this project just got more and more complicated. It was this big human capital thing we were working on, um, creating this mentorship program for this client and also identifying universities to send their high potential people. It's what we were working on. And it was like two o'clock in the morning constantly I was working on. So I went to my boss at Franklin Covey and I said, 
I didn't intend for this to happen, but I've kind of got this business going on right now <laughs> and I need some sleep. I love doing work with you all, but I'm probably going to need to step back from it. And fortunately, what they said to me is they said, well, we don't want to stand in your way. How about we be your second client? So I went home that night and I said to my wife, Jamie, I said, well, we're fully in on the business now. My old company is now our client and we've got this other client. So now we have two clients. And then it just started growing from there. So we ended up, I ended up doing a lot of work for Covey at that time. I was doing a lot of um, helping them launch products, going out and presenting on stages to clients, and then just also teaching to corporate clients for them. And um, it gave me a lot of stages and a lot of reps, which was great. Um, and then after 11 years in the business, one of our competitors approached us and offered to buy our company. At that point, we had four offices. Uh, we had one in Louisville, one in Orlando, one in Washington, D.C., and one in Dayton, Ohio. And they were, the competitor was in similar locations around us. And they just said, hey, there's great synergy if we purchased your business. So that gig that I mentioned where I went around the world happened right on the front end of that. So I did this thing around the world for 30 days, if you will. <laughs> I came back from that. And I was talking to my old boss at KPMG who was now working at a new company. So relationships really matter. And I was talking to him over the holidays, just catching up. And he said, you've been gone for a few months. I'm like, yeah. He said, your employees haven't quit. And I said, not that I know of. <laughs> he said, um, your clients haven't fired you? I said, no. He said, do you want to talk to my boss? And I'm like, why would I want to do that? And he said, because we're looking to hire companies or buy companies. We think we want to buy your company. So that's how I ended up selling the business off. Wow. So six months later, I sold the business. I carved out my relationship with Franklin Covey. I said, that's not for sale. I carved out some other books and things that I've been working on. Those weren't for sale. And um, I went and spent the next three years at... Uh, Franklin Covey. So I say all that to say, how did I end up at the university? Yeah. So along the way, and I do like challenges, I was kind of really intrigued by, if, if, if I've studied one thing well, is really how do, you, um, how do you affect a change that requires, how do you affect a goal accomplishment that requires a change in human behavior? Like how do we change our behavior? How do you get your um, teammates to change your behavior? How do you get a whole organization to change your behavior? And that's not easy. Because if you ever try to change your own behavior, that's hard enough. Yeah. New Year's resolutions are here right now, right? So when I started thinking about 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 um, like what I wanted to do next, I I went back to Franklin Covey, but I'd already picked up my doctorate at University of Kentucky in this idea around understanding how we teach people and affect their thinking, their feelings, and then ultimately their behavior. That was my area of study. And um, an opportunity came up to no, it didn't come up. Actually, what happened was I was talking to one of my friends at Kentucky because I was doing some part-time teaching there. And I said, I think I'd like to teach at Vanderbilt someday. That's just this university I think I'd like to. It's a private institution. It's well-respected. I think I'd like to go teach there. And he said, well, then go teach there. So I went knocking on doors down here at Vanderbilt <laughs> and talked to somebody who ran a department and said, um, I don't know if you need any adjunct faculty members, but I'd love to at least be on your list. And she said, okay, sounds good. She took my resume. I said, how do we stay connected? She said, send me a note. I said, what's the best way? She said, email. I said, how often? She said, monthly. So I started sending her monthly emails for probably 20 months. And then she said, uh, we have a summer class. Do you want to teach it? And then that was my foot in the door. And then once I got in the door, I just kept pushing in the door. And now I, I've been full-time there for, um, gosh, eight, nine years. I, I, I'm the director of undergraduate business studies. So anything undergraduate that's taught in the business department, uh, that's my faculty. Yeah. Um, my faculty, like I all doesn't <laughs> like it, but you know, that's my team. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, so that's been a, it's been a good run. And, and um, I actually have a new startup business in the last couple of years that's incubated at Vanderbilt. So it's been a good experience um, doing work through them and yeah. with them, yeah. 
Uh, well, to to keep with that sort of growth and finding new challenges, um, what was that the method that you had to set up climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, or how did you get to that? Well, that was definitely a dad says yes to things moment. That's <laughs> I I hiked Kilimanjaro in 2019 with my son, and it was a great experience. I I wrote about it in the book because I wrote about it in the idea of mindset. So for the most part, like the results you achieve are a function of the behaviors you, you take on. So if you want to run a marathon, you got to go out and put in the mileage type of thing. If you want to um, you know, sell a lot in your business, you need to make a lot of phone calls. I mean, this behavior generates results typically. But the question of where the behaviors come from, they're mindset things. So I talk in the book for the first week of the challenge, or I often talk to audiences around this idea of your mindset. And I've identified 10 critical mindsets. They're not the only mindsets, but they're pretty key. So their mindsets like engage people. Leadership is, 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 a, is a team sport. Life is a team sport. Um, you're not going to do it all yourself. And that's often a problem for somebody if they initially get tapped on the shoulder and they're like, hey, you're a leader now. Step into this formal role. And they have to make that transition be, from being a team member to being a leader. And they're used to kind of carrying everything on their shoulders. They have to realize that that's not what you're getting paid to do anymore. Your job is to make everybody else 10 feet tall. You have to engage them. Or the idea about rethinking failure because failure is a given. Anytime you try to do anything, you're going to fail. So one of, the, one of the mindsets I write about is enjoy the journey, which as much as I talk about things that I enjoy doing, I don't always enjoy the journey. Right. And Kilimanjaro is a great example of that. So we signed up to do Mount Kilimanjaro. And um, I think we did a six-day hike. You can do five days, six days, seven days, 10 days, different hikes. We did the six-day route, and I was like a jerk on the hike for a while. It didn't dawn on me. I mean, I wasn't like arguing of being, you know, grumpy. But every night when we met with our, our guide, you have a guide on the, who kind of leads your hike. Um, not kind of. They definitely lead your hike. Um, every night when we talk about things, my, I was constantly asking, like, how far are we going tomorrow? What's the elevation change? How many days till we get to the top? Blah, 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 blah. And he eventually had to tell me very directly. I think before they tried to tell me in soft ways, but dude, enjoy the journey, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. How far do we got to go tomorrow? He's like, enjoy the journey. And what that caused me to do though, is I really tried to slow down and be as present as I could in the moment, um, which is not an easy task for me personally to do. But when I look back on the hike and I look back and that happened in 2019 in December, right before COVID really started showing up here. Um, I look back on the hike and I spend a lot of time looking back at the pictures and the hike and things like that. Yeah, I have the picture of my son and I standing at the top of Kilimanjaro and that's totally fun. But when I look at it, really, I look at all the other pictures and all the other stories and all the other things that happened. And it just reminded me that it is a journey. You should enjoy the journey. So that's why I try to teach people as I try to remind myself constantly is that one mindset you have to have as a leader is the best job you're going to have is the job you're in right now. So enjoy it. Find the small things that really fire you up and just latch on to those things and take the time, even in small ways when you're like passing somebody in the hallway on a Monday morning, instead of saying, how was your weekend or what'd you do? Or look at the weather outside, kind of do what I tried to do with my parents, right? Enjoy the journey in that moment saying like, what's going on? What are you learning? And just let them talk to you. I think it's really critical. Yeah. I, I really like that. So mindset's one of the things you talk about in the five week of leadership challenge. What are a couple of the other things that most people talk about? You know, somebody reads this, what are the things they tell you most about it that, that impacted them? Yeah, that, that it's it's been surprising. Um, I think the one chapter, and this kind of s sticks with the same storyline, that I was the, was the most hesitant to write about, and actually I hear most about, 
was so it's, it's written i say chapters it's written in 35 lessons 35 daily lessons so the idea is again we're trying to build new habits and we don't typically build habits in a you know two-day intensive thing we typically build habits over time so it's written to be read in 10 to 15 minutes a day and there's 35 days and then kind of some wraparound things so there's about 40 lessons in there so one of the, the one of the lessons that i wrote toward the end was this idea of closing doors and I am terrible at closing doors. I've had to put, what I mean by that is you have these opportunities. I'm really good at like stirring up opportunities, but I'm sometimes not that great at going, that's not the right time for that opportunity. And I've really had to try to discipline myself and surround myself with people who will say no to certain things. Cause I have that, you know, desire to say yes. Luckily I've got smart people on my team who tell me when to stop. <laughs> um, and I, I had to realize that there's a difference between closing doors and burning bridges. I kind of thought those were the same things and they're not the same things, right? Closing doors is to say like, if you came to me and said, Patrick, you want to do this gig? And I said, that sounds great. Yeah, I really want to do it. A closing door would say, but now's not, right, not the right time. I wouldn't be able to do it as well as you would want or a client wouldn't, the experience wouldn't be what everybody would want. I'd walk away going, I kind of half-stepped at it, that type of thing. And a closing door graciously, but please keep me in mind for the future. And let me give you a name of somebody I think would do a really good job. That's closing a door. Burning a bridge is oftentimes pushing your way through that door <laughs> and then and then just ghosting somebody later on or whatever it might be. And, and those are different things. So the example I was talking about in, in the book around this was that my wife and I, we've been married for about 20 years at the time. I've been married 31 years now. So we've been married about 20 years. We've been in business together for 11 years. And I got really confused between, in my mind, between the role of her as my business partner and the role of her as my wife. And I got those mixed up. Don't get those things mixed up because <laughs> what you start to do is you start, the lines become very blurred, right? And what I found was we were, I was coming back to Louisville from a trip and we had to go to, uh, we chose to go to a, an event for one of our clients. It was a, a retirement party in Louisville. So she had said to me, here's the date of the thing. Make sure you're back in town by this time. I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. Well, there were like five doors open where I was at. So I was kind of delayed getting to the airport, missed my flight, caught the next flight. No big deal. I call her, I'll meet you at the event, that type of thing. I fly into town. She has to drive herself to the event. I drive myself from the airport to the event. I show up. She's not really thrilled with me because this is not a new behavior. Um, we're driving back home separately. And I look down and I have no gas in the car. I pull off to this rural gas station and the clouds just open up and just start pouring down on me. And there's no overhead cover at the gas station. So now I'm soaking wet and the cars run out of gas. And that's just a great, in my mind, example of like, we all get caught in moments where we run out of gas and we're caught in the storm. And I put myself there. I did it to myself by not being able to close doors. Well, I drive home, I open up our garage door and my wife is standing in the garage waiting for me. And she said, we need to talk. And it was one of those, we need to talk conversations that you don't want to have, right? It's kind of like, Patrick, choose a path because there's a path where we stay together and there's a path where we don't stay together. And that was a tough moment for me. And when I wrote about it in the book, I was really hesitant. Obviously, I asked her, like, are you okay with this? And she was. And that's probably the one that people often talk to me about because it's the one day where I asked them really think about, like, what really matters to you and are you closing the right doors or are you burning bridges in relationships that are going to be really hard to fix later on? And And... How can you be a good leader of yourself or your team or your organization if you're not 
kind of pouring into yourself and the most important relationships first. So that's the, I, that was one I was hesitant to write and people ask me about a lot. Wow. That's great. And I, you know, um, one of the things I do like too, just the different ways that you communicate with people, because some people are auditory, some people are visual, so whatever it may be. And so in addition to the book, obviously you've got this, this uh, top rated podcast. And um, one of the things that, uh, so I'm curious to know one, um, how you like that format as opposed to writing. You've got a great newsletter as well. And then two, um, you know, maybe some of the top things you learned from this past year from doing it. From the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to do a podcast. <laughs> well, I did say no to that one. And my, it was actually my friends at Franklin Covey. So I'd been teaching at the university for seven years or so. I'd, I'd written a book for Franklin Covey um, uh, about building winning cultures. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of speaking on that for them. And then I was kind of at a point where I was focused predominantly on trying to grow my own book of business and teaching at the university. And they reached out to me and they were, they said, would you consider um, doing a podcast? And I said, no, because I'd learned <laughs> closed doors. I said, no, but I can tell you five other people who might be great. Yeah. And they kept being persistent. And the reason they were being pers persistent was because they were looking for some more resources they could provide to their um, clients out there. Mm -hmm. And I, they wanted to, basically wanted to exchange kind of me and in interviewing for, um, they'll provide me all the editing and the equipment and they'll set up my guests for me for a while. And, and we had a conversation, I decided to do it. And um, the, first, the second guest I had was Seth Godin. So it was like a really good start, <laughs> right? And yeah, way to start love. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I had, a, I had a bunch of different guests and at six months or so, a thing was humming along and, and they, they'd made a promise. They said, once you get six months, it's yours. Do whatever you want to with it. You know, you can have all the past uh, guests you've had on those. They're all your files. You can have the equipment. We just need six months out of you. And I hit six months. And I was like, I'm really kind of enjoying this, <laughs> surprisingly. And there's this, there's this speaker out there, his author named Dory Clark. I don't know if you're familiar with her, if your, your listeners are. I was talking to her on the podcast and then later on, and she said to me, she goes, you can't be the best kept secret in Nashville or at Louisville or wherever you've lived. And I'm not claiming to like be the best kept secret, but I was definitely a secret. Yeah. Like people knew me if I was out doing things, but I wasn't like really putting myself out there all the time. I'd go out and speak, but I wasn't always out putting myself out there in other formats. And the podcast was one way to kind of really have those type of conversations. So over the years I've had, a lot of people that your listeners might know, Patrick Lencioni, Liz Wiseman, Stephen M. R. Covey's been on the podcast. Robert Cialdini's been on the podcast. Stanley McChrystal's been on the I mean, the list goes on and on. I really, you got David Petraeus. David Petraeus. I'm interviewing him a few days from now, and it'll come out in a week or so. Um, so I've had a chance to just meet these people. And then from there, the the relationships start to change. One of my one of my guests was um, James Patterson, the author yeah. James Patterson, which was a great get. Another Vanderbilt guy, right? Another Vanderbilt guy, yeah. He speaks in my class now to my students, which is, if you're not familiar with James Patterson, go to a bookstore and just walk <laughs> around. You'll see his name. Yeah, it's hard not to find a book by him. Well, I learned in the, when working with him, one out of every 17 hardcover, non uh, one out of every 17 fiction books hardcover in the U.S. is a James Patterson book. It's Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. He has sold over 350 million book copies, wow. right? I'm close. I'm not there yet. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I had a chance to work with him and now I'm actually kind of doing something with him project wise, which is exciting. So it's been a really great journey. I had you on the podcast, which was, you got to listen to that one. That is the best one. You talk, <laughs> now talk about the story about your father too, yeah. about playing catch with him. It's great. I'm going to tease it because people need to listen to it and, and learn that story. But yeah, it just building relationships has been really critical. And I, and I think it's funny because working with students a lot, they hear the term networking. Like you got to build a network and get a network. And 
and they sometimes equated not all of them of course but some of them equated to i just have a lot have to have a lot of followers or connections on linkedin or i have to have 500 plus people on facebook they don't use that anymore but you know these different things that they they think they need to do and and they they realize as i try to talk to them about networking that networking is a two-way street too and it's not just like what do i get out of these people or how can i it's what do i give them as well in fact i've I'm in the midst right now of writing notes to people saying, you know, you've helped me so much in the past. What can I do to help you in 23? And it's interesting what people will come back with. Sometimes it's just like, keep me in your thoughts and prayers because I'm going through a lot. Sometimes it's like, can you make a phone call or an intro for me? These are easy little things that I can do to hopefully help them out. Mm -hmm. So I think that what the podcast has done for me is is, is, it's done the networking stuff, which has been great. It's helped me build some real authentic relationships with people, which is really critical. But it's also caused me to continually learn, which I know yeah. you and I have talked about. You learn so much when you're just talking to people. Yeah, I love it. I mean, like the one you're talking about today, like J.J. Peterson, just learning about how important story is and how it's been since Plato, Aristotle, and that sort of thing. Or one of my favorites, you were interviewing Hunter Hillenmeyer yeah. in Vanderbilt and Chicago Bear uh, uh, linebacker and and uh, entrepreneur now. Uh, but just about the power of consistency, like the top people are consistent. And that's, yeah, as I've, I've got kids that are getting ready to graduate high school in the next couple of years, uh, thinking about like, what things do I want them mm-hmm. to learn before they go? And just the power of being consistent. Absolutely. So that that uh, encouraged that thought too. So I, I mean, I've learned a lot from it too. I interviewed a guy, uh, Dansby Swanson, Oh yeah, yeah. He's the he's now the new shortstop for the Chicago Cubs. Okay, yeah, yeah. Vandy guy, Vandy guy, number one, number one in the draft in the yeah. MLB draft. Got a lot of cool hair. Yeah, a lot of cool hair. Yeah. Uh, recently married. Yeah, to a to a U.S. soccer player. Okay, U.S. national team soccer player. Um, but I had him on the podcast, and we talked. All we talked about was what is your routine pregame, because I wanted to understand like rituals and the importance of those routines yeah and i think a lot of people probably have routines who listen to the podcast i try to build new routines all the time not new ones but like reinforce the ones i think really matter for me because we oftentimes think like um we have these successes and then we have habits that come no you have habits and then you have success based on those (laughs) habits type of thing so i I have certain rituals i got into but my point on that was that so i had gansby swanson i've had a number of athletes i've had tommy caldwell who's a really um, amazing mountain climber or climber um, I've had uh, NBA players, uh, Globe Trotters on the Harlem Globe Trotters on the podcast. I had this guy named Desmond Clark on the podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah, and Des Clark is a Chicago former Chicago Bear too. So I knew him growing up in Chicago and like knowing the Bears team, following him over the years. And I was at this event where Hunter Hillemeyer was speaking. You just mentioned Hunter, and I knew I had some connections with him because of Vanderbilt. And I and I was I thought I'd like to have him on the podcast sometime. I look online on my phone. And I go on the World Wide Web. I look on my phone and I see that Desmond Clark and Hunter Hillemeyer played for the exact same eight-year period with Chicago Bears. Oh, wow. Yeah, so now I got some way to talk to him, right? So <laughs> Hunter Hillemeyer just happened to walk by me and I go, hey, Des Clark says you should do my podcast. <laughs> and I said, he didn't say that, but if he was here, he would. Yeah. And that struck up that conversation. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of fun to it to see like who can you talk to and what can you learn. And then it informs me in so many ways um, directly or indirectly. And then when I'm out working with clients or speaking on stages, I'm able to bring some of that conversation into the room and let them learn from the brilliance that these other people have taught me as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a lot of times when I'm speaking is I'll share with them, like, here's something James Patterson told me about this. And then here's something I experienced. And then more importantly, what are you going to do with it? Type yeah. Of thing, which makes it fun. Yeah. Uh, so last question here. Um, what is one thing that you, uh, 
Because I think a lot of times with kids, it gives us an excuse to be a kid ourselves. Mm -hmm. What's one crazy thing you wish your kids would have asked you to do that now maybe you're going to do that you're, you're solo here? Like one crazy thing. One crazy thing. Well, so I spent a lot of years jumping out of planes and <laughs> climbing a lot of mountains and things. Probably something underwater because I haven't done that much underwater. Uh, I told you I wasn't, I did my swim, <laughs> right? So I've learned how to swim over the years, but probably something uh, deeper underwater, like scuba diving or something like that. Yeah. I, I use the analogy sometimes when I'm talking about like in life, we'll, we'll water ski over things. Sometimes we'll, you know, kind of see at the surface level. Sometimes we'll, we'll snorkel, uh, go a little bit already, see what's going on. I really want to scuba dive and like go deeper and figure out some of the stuff down there. It's a lot of the world's under there and I don't know much about it. So I think that'd awesome. be kind of fun. And maybe, maybe we'll do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, next time you get to have one of the Cousteau family on your podcast. That's exactly. Launch all that. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on and being a part of the Beyond Speaking Pod. Thanks, my friend. I really appreciate it. Great. And so uh, for you who are watching, listening, make sure to subscribe, rate, review. Um, if you have any other questions for Patrick, uh, you can connect with them just about everywhere. Just look for Patrick Ledden, L-E-D-D-I-N, uh, at premierspeakers.com, but also on one of his many platforms. So thank you again for uh, checking out the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. To learn more about today's guests, visit premierspeakers.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen.